Howdy, online family. Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Ryan Gagnon. We're going to be hearing today from Pastor Michael Lockstanfor as he concludes our series, The Test, a study in the book of James. We have prayed about how best to meet our community with the gospel message of Jesus. We believe this digital component is a way of meeting our community here on the web. We hope God uses it to both encourage and challenge you. We also encourage you to serve a local church body. Remember, you can't be the church by yourself. We've been taking the test in James these last five weeks. Throughout this time, God has shown us what a walk with Him should look like. Today is our final exam. As we close out James, we will be covering a topic near and dear to so many people's hearts, money. God, as He often does throughout His Word, takes the topic and uses it to illustrate a broader point. Today, in discussing money, we will see that the worship of it highlights a problem in our faith walk with Jesus. If we worship our wealth, we do not have an eternal perspective. We are focusing on the here and now, not the eternal. Jesus calls us to look to Him for our hope, not this world. Having an eternal perspective means loving what Christ loves. God is about people and relationships. Nothing should come in the way of that, not even your retirement. Today we will learn in James chapter 5 that the test of wealth can distract us from the value of our faith family. Let's listen in together. church. We are finishing up today our series in James, which we've titled The Test. Um, There's been a lot of heavy lifting, and he got to the point real directly last week in chapter 4, and really I think that everything he's talked about in the whole book gets summed up here in chapter 5. His conclusion is a real conclusion. And it's real down to earth. And in a lot of ways, it's hard to talk about. Um, He started, do you remember how the letter opens? My beloved brothers, consider it all joy, pure joy, when you face... Trials, consider it pure joy when you face a pay raise, when you face a promotion, when you face a graduation. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of all kinds. That's where he started. The testing of your faith is going to prove how how genuine you are. And he started in that chapter to point out where we're going to land this morning that Riches are something that we have to deal with. We live in a fallen world. All of us have to make money somehow. We have to get a paycheck to be able to live. And sometimes it doesn't work out so well, and sometimes we make bad choices. And that's where he's starting. But if you remember, he's writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Is how he speaks about the church who, when they had their faith, suddenly had to be kicked out of their house and go to a different land. They're in a new land. Nobody really knows them. They're trying to figure out how to make stuff work. They don't have any friends. You know, some of them were business owners before. They might have lost their business and had to figure out how to make it work. And so as we look at James chapter 5 this morning, that's 
who he's addressing directly. And we're just going to jump right into it because there's no way to beat around the bush with what he's saying here. So we're going to be in James chapter 5. If you'd like to turn or click there, um, if you would like a Bible, we've got these story Bibles. And it's on page um, 582 in there if you'd like to follow along. And that's a gift if you'd like to take that home. James chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. I'm going to stop there real quick. We're going to see this morning that the test of wealth can distract us from the value of our faith family. And he starts out here in these verses with the conclusion of the matter. He says, hey, you rich people, you should be upset that you invested so much time in all of the wealth that you did because investment in riches doesn't necessarily yield the highest returns. What does it get? Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You laid up treasure in the last days. What is he saying about money? It's useful in this world. Is it coming with us? No, it's not coming with us. He says, all this stuff that you've invested so much time in is going away. But he's not done. He's got some more specifics about how they got that wealth and how they spent it. Look at me in verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So these are people who have gained and amassed a bunch of wealth on the backs of people who, they, they did it the wrong way. And I think this, and this is really close to my heart personally, right here. This is scriptural evidence that you need to give your, your lawn guy a raise, right? Right? Can I get an amen? Anybody? There we go. All right. <clears throat> the labors of the wages, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, it's right there. It can't be any more specific. The point is, we're personally accountable for how we get and how we spend our money. If, if you acquire a bunch of wealth and you do it by stealing it from other people and taking advantage of people, then what's it, what's it worth? Your money's not going with you, but you've beat down what James calls a righteous person. You've beat down somebody who is looking to you for help, for employment. Our immediate focus must not be on selfish indulgence. What are we focused on today? Now, this is hard. We live paycheck to paycheck. Like, sometimes money is an immediate focus. 
How are we going to pay these bills? And, and, and I'm with Pastor Todd. That our next series has got to be like how God's going to bless you and give you all the money. Because as soon as you start saying, you know, we got to gain our money the right way and you're trying to study for this kind of a sermon, that's when all your financial troubles pop up. It's like, okay, God, what are you doing in this? So our immediate focus must not be on selfish indulgence. It's, 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 it's going to burn up. Wrath and must, wrath, wrath and must, moth and rust destroy. Your bike's going to fall apart. Your truck, your car. Your golf game is only as, lo- as good as your knees. Like These things fall apart. So what are we investing in with the time that we have? It's part of this world, this sinful fallen world, we have to deal with it. But is that our focus? Is that our immediate focus in what we're doing on a day-to-day basis? Investment in riches doesn't necessarily yield the highest returns in the long run. We prepare in this life for eternity. And our paycheck is not eternal. Can I get an amen? So when we step on persons who are eternal to acquire that which isn't, we've sinned. And that will be a judgment against us. The corrosion of your gold will eat your flesh. That's a pretty explicit picture. And I'd just also like to mention briefly before we move on that it says the, uh, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts is not a happy name for God. That's Lord of armies. When he says, when you are defrauding people, it's not the God of grace, it's the God of armies who hears those cries. So, pay your landscaper. <clears throat> All jesting aside, we'll continue. Because we have this problem, right? And it's a very explicit problem. My problem as a preacher when I came to these verses is what it doesn't tell you what to do other than weep and moan. Be upset about that. But I'd like to draw you back to chapter 4 where it says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you. Don't build yourself up and exalt yourselves on the back of other people. Humble yourself before God and let him exalt you. Which is easy to say on a Sunday morning when we've all taken a shower and got our collared shirts on, right? But what does that look like on Wednesday? Let's continue reading. Be patient in verse 7. <laughs> James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. I'll, I'll pause there. The harvest that will satisfy us isn't coming in this world. God has given us rich blessings of grace and salvation, but the fulfillment of those things isn't going to happen here and now. We're looking forward to a time when God redeems everything. So whether you are the person who's being taken advantage of or you are the person who's trying to figure out what's the honest thing to do, 
if somebody will agree to work for me for this wage, doesn't that, that doesn't necessarily mean that's the fairest wage to go. And I do not have the expertise to criticize capitalism or to offer a better solution, but I'm saying we've got to be careful about what we do and what we promote. What is fair? Because the harvest that will satisfy us, there is a harvest coming, and it will satisfy us. We sing in several of our songs, our satisfaction is in Christ. The harvest that will satisfy us isn't in this world. So be patient. That's a picture of a little baby corn plant. And that's got no corn on it. If you've ever grown vegetables, that's the hardest thing to wait for. You want to eat the fruit of the harvest. You planted this little teeny seed that it could have been edible, but it wasn't going to satisfy very much. And so you're waiting for this big harvest of this little seed and all these different plants. And the hardest thing is when they're like this big. This is when they're vulnerable. This is when the deer like to come and munch on them because they're so tender. This is when the bugs like to come and suck the life out of them. This is when the Florida mildew likes to get in there and just rot it out. We're looking for that harvest and we're fighting off the bugs in this world. Therefore, be patient. We have to live here. This is the world we have to deal with. We're participants in a fallen world with hope for the future. We have to participate but this isn't where our hope is. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse 9. An application of this principle. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under any condemnation. In our waiting, we can get focused in on ourselves. Looking at that immediate need, and we can ignore and grumble with our neighbors around us who likewise have similar needs. So as we are being patient and waiting for the Lord, we also must not grumble with each other who we're all still waiting together. We all have the same frustrations. We're all fighting the same bugs. We're on the same team, Grace Church. Look as an example to the prophets in the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament just blows my mind that God would raise up somebody to speak truth to God's people, and they'd be like, eh, I've heard that before. We'll just keep doing our thing. And I don't have time to go through all of the different examples of what that looked like. Like Jeremiah, there's a reason that he's called the weeping prophet. He got beat up a lot by God's people. So don't grumble with each other. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast. Steadfast in what? In the good times. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast when 
the ends are meeting, and you got a little bit to tie a bow with, <laughs> blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. It's coming. We're participants in a fallen world. So our patient focus, our patient focus, not easy, our patient focus must look to eternal fruit. Over and over we've seen we have to deal with the fallen world looking and hoping for the next one. But we're not so focused on the next one that we forget that there are people around us. Do not grumble, my brothers. And speak clearly with one another. Let your yes be yes and your no be no and don't confuse the two. When you agree to something, do it. When you say no, don't do it. Both of those things are places that I get in trouble. And both of those places are ways that I get frustrated with other people. You said you weren't going to do that. Why are you doing that? Let's continue reading. Verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? You don't have to raise your hand. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. The harvest that will satisfy us isn't on this earth, but no one can bring in the harvest by themselves. We're looking for a harvest of righteousness. We're looking at hope in the completed work of Jesus at the glorification and the redemption of all the world. It's coming. But you can't bring in the harvest by yourself. You can't be the church by yourself. You can't go off in a corner and say, I'm just going to do the Jesus thing, and I'm going to make the right decisions, and that's all that I need. I just need me and God, me and God, me and God. If anyone, is not, if anyone among you is suffering, yeah, pray. If anyone's cheerful, sing. It's good. Whatever's going on in your life, turn to God. But then also remember that you're not in it alone. We're not alone in the midst of this testing. There's a lot theologically in here about sickness, physical ailments, and how God chooses to heal people. And we can get into that if you want to get into that on a one-to-one -one basis, but what I want to proclaim to you here this morning is that what James is exhorting us to do is to turn to one another and ask for help. If you're hurting, if you have sickness, if there's something going on and you isolate yourself, the body of Christ cannot help you. 
if you're hurting, as dangerous as it feels to open up to other people, James is teaching that that is where God chooses to heal. Somehow, God takes broken, messed up people, and because of their prayers, will choose to heal other broken, messed up people. He says the prayer of faith will save the person and, and the sin will be forgiven and they'll be healed. It doesn't say which person has the faith. Is it the sick person or is it the person that they've called to help? It's a lot like Mark 2. The same thing happens there where Jesus is like, oh, you're sick. Or this guy comes in on a mat, remember, and his friends lower him down through the roof, which is a crazy thing that happens. And Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. The guy's paralyzed, laying on the ground, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Like, if I got, came to Jesus, and I was paralyzed, and he forgave my sin, that might be cool, but I don't know that that's what he came there for, you know? And then, and then he says, the, your faith has made you well. But he's not clear about whose faith it was. Was it the friends who lowered him down? Was it the guy laying on the mat? And all of it, in Mark 2, was so that Jesus could demonstrate that he had the power and authority to do it. When you choose to confess your sin to another believer, it's not about you, it's not about your sin, it's not about the person you're confessing with. When God chooses to heal you, forgive you of your sin, and heal whatever ailment it is that you're going through, it's not about you, it's not about the healing, and it's not about the person who prayed for you. All of it's pointing to God. Elijah was a dude just like us. He had bedhead when he woke up in the morning. But when he prayed, it didn't rain. Why? Because God was trying to make a point. And Elijah's job was to point the wicked king back to him, back to God. God's the one in control. This is hard. I, I understand. I'm asking you to, to confess sin. To say to somebody, this is where I have sinned. We, that's personal. And to do so is to open ourselves up to criticism and all those kinds of things. But the encouragement, I think, in this text is that it's not about you. It's not about your sin because Jesus has already forgiven it. But it's about building the community. Because nobody can bring in the harvest that we're looking forward to by ourselves. We can't get there by ourselves. This faith Though you make the individual decision to follow Jesus, we talked about this in the membership class, you make the individual decision to follow Jesus, and immediately you're brought into a faith family. And we work together. And I'm excited that we get to celebrate communion today, because one of our expressions of this truth is washing each other's feet. Like physically getting down with other people's stinky feet and washing them. To show... We're on the same team. I care about what God's doing in your life. I want to see him work in you. And the money thing that we started with, it can just be a distraction. When you got to pay your bills, it's real hard to focus on being a good friend, being a good church member. I gotta pay my bills. But the test of wealth can distract us from the value of our faith family. Look, look at how the book closes. My brothers, verse 19. 
If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Our diligent focus. We must not forget. We have to be diligent. Our diligent focus must be toward genuine community. Listen, it's not the kind of thing that you get to set up your Lego tower, this is our genuine community, and just walk away. And it takes work. It's almost like you're building with blocks and there's a toddler in the house. I tell you what, they like to kick those blocks so hard. If you want to try to build something, I recommend removing the toddler from the situation. But that's what building a genuine community is. That's why we must be diligent in our focus towards building a genuine community. That's why we have to open ourselves up and confess the areas where we've been wrong. And to not be distracted by the worries and cares that are temporary. What's eternal? Just a question. What's eternal? I heard something. Heaven? Okay. People? God? What's not eternal? The flesh? Money? Yeah, yeah. Everything under the sun? So he's been reading Ecclesiastes. So that's, that's it. That is the test. Consider it pure joys when, when you reach trials of various kinds. They're coming. It's going to happen. Are you going to try to bolster yourself, put your football pads on and just run through it? Or are you going to build a team around you to carry you, to walk with you in it? I promise you this, you're going to have to be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger to make that happen. The harvest that we're looking for isn't here, but man, we can practice for when we get to bring it in. So we've got these connection cards here in front of you. Um, They might be on the chairs. The kids like to move them around. But but what is God doing this morning? How is God speaking? Just take a few moments. We're going to sit together in quiet and just reflect on how God is speaking through the series, the whole series, even just this morning. What is God doing today? Let me just say, if you have had a question as we've gone through this, write your question down. I'd like to open it up and say, let's ask questions right now, but I don't know that I'm confident enough to do that. Maybe, maybe the next series will close it that way. Right now, let's just spend some time individually with God so that we as a community can be shaped to look more like Him. Because the testing of our wealth can distract us from the value of our faith. Thanks again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God in His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.